0: Hello, everyone. Uh, this is uh, Tony Bristol again with uh, I Am Cured uh, podcast. So this is uh, episode, I think it's episode 11 already. Um, we've been doing this for about six weeks now. And um, as many of you know, uh, or, or may not know, um, September is actually uh, Childhood Cancer Month. And um you know, I, I wanted to end this this uh, September with a, a very special guest that I got actually introduced to uh, by Suzanne Gwynn, who was on one of my previous podcasts. And uh, um, this is uh, Abby. And uh, we just got introduced um, a, a few days ago, actually. So I, I was, we've been talking for the last uh, half an hour or so just about her journey so I could get related. But uh, anyways, with that, uh, welcome Abby to the I Am Cure podcast and thank you for mm-hmm. uh, coming on and, and and telling your story.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, you bet. So can you kind of walk us through like how your life looked, um, you know, prior to finding out that you had cancer and then, um, and and, you know, just give us a sense of like what that was like. Like you told me you were always playing sports and just kind of walk us through that, um, you know, your, your, your life before cancer.
1: Yeah. So I was very active as a teenager. I did play sports. I did volleyball, basketball, and softball. And I was involved within my student council as well as FFA. And I really loved public speaking. So I was, very bubbly, I was very outgoing, everyone knew me, I was very much into my friends, and I was just living the normal teenage dream,
2: right,
1: right, (laughs) yeah, so, yeah, uh, I was very strong and competitive, and I, I was just, I was probably in the best spot for and I shouldn't say opportunity but I really feel like cancer is such a journey for everyone and I felt like it was that time for me to kind of think about my life and as a teenager you're transitioning and what a beautiful way or kind of in a way kind of chaotic and challenge it was a way for me to find myself and my purpose in my life and I'm I'm grateful for it
0: right right well and and as as you I am cured podcast listeners um will will recognize many of the people who I've interviewed have the same response you know including myself right that that it truly has been a gift um you know, a gift from God, which sounds weird that, uh, you, you would say that, but, or that I would say that, but it, it truly transforms the person who has cancer to, I, I, I think some, something better, right. Something better that maybe you didn't recognize in yourself before, or, or uh, became more um, apparent and in the forefront. But, you know, you, you definitely, um, Communicate it beautifully about how what it's done for you. So you were 16, and um, you were telling me that you started like having some physical things happen to you. They were not too far out of normal, but they they, they still, yeah. um, you know, because because you play in a lot of sports, you'd get bruises and things like that. But yeah. um, walk us through kind of you know you finding out um, that you had cancer and then what type of cancer, just so everyone listening can, can understand kind of what that was and, and, and how serious it was at the time and, and and that whole journey.
1: Yeah. So I play sports all the time. I was a catcher and I played second base. So I was getting lots of bruises, not really out of the norm, but what I first started to kind of see was when I was at hitting practice. My chest would get really tight, and I thought I pulled a muscle. But it was getting at the point where I couldn't breathe very well. Every time I would breathe, I would get a very sharp pain. So I went to the doctor, and sure enough, they told me I pulled a muscle. It for me to go to a doctor, it's like it has to be bad because right. <laughs> I. I'm very tough. I'm someone who grew up, rub some dirt on it. You know, it's it's not that big of a deal. So to me to go to a doctor (laughs) to talk about chest pain is a little bit off for me. My friends started to worry about me because I would, I mean, it wasn't out of the norm that I was late to school, But I would be so tired. I would be so tired. And I just thought, oh, I'm just working out super hard, or oh, I'm just doing, you know, really some really good work out on the field. (laughs) So to me, it was, I just needed to toughen up a little bit. Mm. So I just kind of hid all of that. Um, I also lost a lot of weight, but I just thought, you know again oh i'm just working out a lot oh i'm just doing a little more my practice so to me it wasn't anything crazy but what was the breaking point for me was it was my my first double header and i hit the ball out to the fence and I run as fast as I could and I got to third which is unbelievable to me but <laughs> I got to third and I told my coach you know like he's like yeah good job. I'm like yeah yeah I, I didn't know I could run so fast but when I got home like to the home plate and everything and I I just thought I need to go to the back of the dugout and like practice some breathing because I thought I was going to fall over and die
2: because <laughs> wow. it
1: hurt so bad. And I went to the back of the dugout and I just kind of cried to myself and I just kind of brushed my tears away and got out back on the field. And I played half a catcher, like one game as a catcher and one game mm-hmm. on second base. And I was at second base. So I told, and these are the girls I grew up with. These are my best friends, right. and I told them in the middle, I said, okay, we have to strike her out to end the game, because I can fall over, and I'm in so much pain, and they just looked at me like, that's weird, <laughs> I, why was she saying that, and they just saw it on my face, and Haley struck her out, ended the game, and I went home, and I soaked in a bath, and I just was in so much pain I could barely breathe I I didn't want to tell my parents I just thought okay I'm just you know it's worse than I thought it's I don't know what it is but I'm just need to get over it and take a bath and take some Tylenol so I was in so much pain that Tylenol wasn't helping I was taking Advil like nobody's business and Mm. and that's not good
2: oh it's not (laughs) I
1: didn't And I didn't know that when I was a teenager, I just, you know, I just was taking it like every couple hours. (laughs) So that didn't help because the next day, my mom, I was wearing basketball shorts and my mom came out and goes, what is all that on your legs? I go, oh, those are my bruises. And I kid you not, I looked like a Dalmatian. I was... Mm covered in bruises and I had a huge bruise on my leg and I said yeah it really hurts this bruise really hurts I think I maybe I don't think I broke it but I it hurts so bad I can't walk on it and she goes uh that's not good and I go yeah and it just kept getting bigger you know so from when I remembered it was huge and then she noticed I had petechiae all over my legs and it's a little pinpoint bruise it looks like a rash Mm -hmm. like a blood rash so my mom said oh no you have fatigue eye we need to go to the hospital right now i go what why it's nothing she goes yeah you could just get platelets you know you have a lot of bruises and she works in the hospital so she knows all this kind of stuff so we just might need to get you in for some platelets. So let's go. I go okay. So we go to the hospital, and I'm just messing around and saying, "Oh yeah, let's first get some platelets." I don't even know what that is, but <laughs> um, they come in, they draw my blood. I'm like, oh, this is really annoying. I could be doing so much other things right now, <laughs> and. Um, you know, it takes a really long time and they finally come out after a long time. And, um, and I know sometimes that means that they're just kind of trying to figure stuff out because they were trying to figure stuff out. They didn't really know what was wrong with me. So they just saw that I just had a lot of white cells and that possibly could have been because I had a ton of Advil. My, yeah, my blood count was way off. My platelets were, I really needed platelets. They were pretty bad. And so they needed to figure out what was wrong with me. They thought, oh, well, she could have like a cancer. Like she could have a blood cancer. Right. So, but we don't have the necessary equipment to test that. So they had to take me to Seattle. When I got there, They ran more tests and they figured, you know, it's going to take, you definitely have cancer, but it's going to take a little longer to see what you have. Next morning, they said, okay, yeah, you have AML. And of course, I don't know what that means, but my mom knows and my dad found out and it, you know, both of them were up there. My mom traveled with me and my dad had to drive all the way up.
0: So, so for our listeners who don't know what AML is, can you just briefly explain Yeah, that? Yeah.
1: Um, it's acute myelogenous leukemia. Yep. And I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of leukemia. So there's a lot of kids and teenagers, they get ALL, which it, it's all different kinds of treatment. The leukemia is so different, but it's they pinpoint it so then they know how to give you the best efficient treatment so mine was more okay you have aml so we have to treat you aggressively all is okay you can be at home like i could be at home but i would have to go to the hospital for like some treatment outpatient so but it's longer but it's a way longer period so i was like oh yeah i'll I'll take aml because then i'm just in for like a few chemotherapies and then I'm out. That was like my thought process. Right. So I was like, okay, good. I have the right leukemia here. <laughs> I don't know, as a teenager, I'm like, why? You know. But I was always very optimistic and very positive. So um, you kind of have to be at that point. But yeah, I found out I have AML and we just kind of went through the whole process and it wasn't super aggressive and it wasn't you know something that was going to be you know just like a breeze but it was kind of in the middle it was not easy not aggressive it was like perfectly moderate (laughs) right so and they just kind of you know decided you know hey if, if you Get through the first chemotherapy treatment. If you don't have any sign of cancer, then it's going to be the easy way route, and that's what I was rooting for. (laughs)
0: Yeah, totally. So, how long were you in the hospital uh, that first stint?
1: Yeah, so it was a month, and usually the chemotherapies were a month. Took me like a month, but I mean, if you if you have more aggressive therapies, they're going to take a little longer, but. The first one, thank God, was the easiest can like the easiest chemo.
0: So so you did chemo for a month. You mm-hmm. um, you know, fortunately didn't have, you know, any bad side effects to that. Did you lose your hair?
1: Yes, I
0: did. <laughs> you did. How was that?
1: Nothing really truly you know, was my became a breakdown for me until I lost my hair. And <laughs> I went into the shower. It's okay. It scarred me so bad that I, I don't like taking showers and, and it sounds kind of funny, (laughs) but even to this day, it has ruined me. It, I just dread it. Honestly, it just, it just kind of puts me in like a bad, like mood. And I don't know why, (laughs) but, but yeah, it, it was probably, You know, when I, that was the one thing I asked too, I said, so will my hair fall out? And they go, oh, well, you know, this is the percentage because they have percentages for everything, but this is the percentage of if you would get your hair fall out. But I didn't understand that chemotherapy was like a toxin that went into your body and that your body decided what it was going to do. I thought it was just cancer, right? I didn't know at that point what it all meant so I thought oh you know I have a good you know I have like a little tiny percentage of my hair won't fall out and little did I know you know of the whole entire experience and it hurt I will tell you this it hurt me not like not just emotionally but physically it hurt your hair just laying on a pillow and then like it just oh it it was probably it feels like if you just had like your hair tied really really tight, it it hurts so so bad and to yeah. just add another layer when you go into the shower and half your hair falls out in the yeah. drain and I had long very curly strawberry blonde hair. Awesome. So it was like it as soon as that happened, as soon as the first time it happened, I said chop it off. I went back to my room and I just said chop it off shave it off i was so mad i was i was in a mindset where i was like i'm not gonna let this like i'm not going to let this not only hurt me but i'm not gonna let this like be something that i'm so worried about is my hair like that was something that i'm like i'm not gonna first of all i'm not gonna look crazy with like half my hair out yeah yeah Second of all, like it's a distraction. It's something that's distracting me from my happiness. It needs to come out, and I was just cut it out. So they cut it off, and I was like, "Yep, <laughs> it's gonna fall out anyway." So just yep. cut it real wow. short. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, what? Well, what a what a mature attitude to have at sixteen. I I I know you're 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 ten years removed from that experience now, but. Like just looking back, you know, um, you know, a lot of people who have cancer are, are looking for those like, what are those distractions I can remove from my life that, you know, is is, is going to distract me from healing myself or curing myself, um, and and for you to just like be able to go to that space mm-hmm. is is just remarkable. At at, at sixteen, you know, um, you know, it's clear that you were. You know, God puts you in a place that you can handle. You know, as I, I as I always like to say, you know, God only gives you what you can handle in your life.
1: But when I was bald, though, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, that brought it to the next level. I was, no, it was, yeah, it became it became a obstacle for probably a week. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, I got a wig.
2: Yeah,
1: um, and then. It was really—I mean, I wore a hat, and it only lasted for a week because of how annoyed I was about it. I—I I, I was like, "This is not me."
2: Mm. I
1: just like let go of this, <laughs> and I need to just be secure in who I am, and that's who I became. And as I went out in public, and I was bald, I didn't even think about what others thought of me. I didn't even, Wow, it became something in me and like an, a whole total change from me being this super outgoing girl in high school who did all the sports and who was very peppy and yeah. to like me being this girl who's bald, who looks sick. And that's just not who I was on the inside and I didn't want yeah. to let My outside be what people saw of me. I wanted to bring joy. I wanted people to laugh. I wanted people in a time of such sorrow. I wanted them to look at it in a new perspective. And at the at that point, I didn't realize it. Um, You know, you said of how mature I was. At that point, I didn't realize, you know, that part of me and i've just grown to reflect you know that situation and how much you know it did change me how much you know it made me into the person i am today
0: what a gift right
1: it's pretty cool yeah <laughs> yeah
0: what a gift you you got at 16 years old mm-hmm. when when probably the rest of your friends were more worried about, like, how they looked and what people <laughs> yeah. thought of them, Yeah, that you, that you were able to get that at 16, mm-hmm. oh, just amazing, just, mm-hmm. amazing.
1: I felt so free,
0: yeah. I felt I so
1: bald and beautiful, not in the way that people, like, think, but, like, right? I, I, my <laughs> echo, I just said beautiful, and it said, <laughs> sure you look great, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but, yeah, I felt like like the wind in my bald head. Yeah. <laughs> I just felt like this glorious, oh. like precious porcelain doll,
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, that's so great, that's so great to hear so uh, so moving on from from the month, so you so you got out of the hospital um uh, mm-hmm. after a month. Tell me well, about the next chapter of uh, of
1: the well, yeah, I. Didn't live in Seattle, so I had no idea <laughs> what life was going to be like outside the hospital there.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: we had to get a Ron McDonald house, which is such such a blessing. And if, if there is anything anyone could give money towards is housing for families who live out of town or who need a place to live while treatment or hospice or what whatever it may be it's it was so 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 important for my family to find a place worth community mm. and a place you know where we had the support that we needed and we they had food there it was like a hotel room there was a movie theater the wow. kids are just so happy it was a big family there so the Long McDonald House is a beautiful place, and so that's where I spent a lot of my time out of the hospital, which I didn't really get to be out of the hospital very often because of, you know, how sick I would get, but when I had the chance, when all my, my blood counts and A&C, when all that was good, I could leave for a week, and that was my second home, and I'm wow. so thankful for that.
0: So you spent, um, how much time then in Seattle?
1: Um, I spent a long time in Seattle. So when I, I went home because I had to go home early. Um, I couldn't finish out my chemotherapy um, because my body just couldn't handle it. And my body, so, they had chemos, they had a shortage. So I was using, and a lot of the other kids were using chemotherapy from like the 70s. It was so awful on our bodies so that yeah. a lot of them didn't get to finish treatment. Mm. So I went home for, um, I, th- I think I went home like in August. So that was really nice. I got to go home and I get to see my friends I get to start being normal it was really weird it and I didn't want to go to high school it was just so like
0: Mm.
1: childish to me it was (laughs) it was really weird and yeah and we had an awesome opportunity my senior project was because I really liked um, speaking I like public speaking in front of people and it's just been something that has been a gift to me and they asked me a um, patient advocate foundation asked me and my family to go to Washington DC and speak on behalf of the drug shortage um, and we went to an FDA meeting and it was like a full testifying type like thing and uh-huh. And we got to speak. Me and my mom spoke about, you know, why I had to end my treatment. And it was, and we've heard so many patients talk at this meeting and doctors, and it was like, it's like, it really, it could have killed me. It could have killed a lot of people. And, or it could have been, you know, something that affected my treatment overall.
0: And it probably has, right? I mean, looking back, yeah. it probably has killed quite a few people.
1: Yeah. And it, and it it was TPN, it was like um insulin. It was not right. just therapies. And right. and that is an issue for everyone. Right. So, you know, and it became like a black market thing and all this stuff. So anyways it to me, I was so focused in this life, in this, it was, like, a culture for me. Um, I was, like, on a mission. I, w- I didn't have time for high school stuff. It ended up um, me not wanting to go to school for half the day <laughs> because I hated it so much. Yeah, I, w- I had my best friend who lived right next to me, like, down the road from me. She would pick me up from, you know, and then she would take me home Hmm. from school. She would take me home for school at lunch because I didn't want to be there. It it was just not what I felt like there's so much more, you know, for me. And, yep. So it became, it became kind of, I wanted to have fun. I wanted to be normal again. Yeah. But I just felt like I lost, this is such a huge, in my life I don't want to lose that I don't want to lose the relationship with my parents I don't want to lose you know the comfort of me you know and my life and what I went through I don't want Uh, to lose that part of me yeah so that became something I really struggled with when I came back
0: well it sounded like you you evolved during this journey and for you to go back to who you were prior to was just not an option for you
1: Yeah. It it was really weird. It's like, they don't give you a manual when you come out of the hospital of how to be a normal human being. Mm. It's like, how, how do I do that? How do I learn to cope with these things, but not let it become me? I don't want to become that. Right. And it's really hard in society. It's very hard to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you speak to a very um, interesting point that also affects our, our, our military, right? An experience like PTSD, you know, it's similar for people who have cancer that, you know, you, you end up getting cured, but you've gone through such a transformation during that time that it's, it's really tough to go back to, you know, the same way you thought prior to that, right?
1: Yes, exactly. Yes. And that's the perfect way to explain it because it was really hard for me to explain that to people because people just generically think of it with someone who's been, you know, in the military and they don't understand that a lot of people with medical conditions, you know, it's a thing. It is a thing. It's not something made up. (laughs) You know, I'm not Not being over-exaggerating.
0: Yep. Yeah. So So anyway, so um, moving on with your journey. So Mm -hmm. you'd mentioned to me that you actually had a relapse.
1: I went into Seattle just for a checkup and I couldn't go back. It it was so, to me, that was the hardest part through everything is I can't go back and do the things that I love that I grew up doing. Right. I can't do it with my friends. So it was like a gut wrenching feeling that this time was going to be a little different. And it's like the worst thing in the world, of course, when they say, okay, well, yeah, you're going to have to really fight now because it's, you know, you're going to have to get a transplant, but you have to keep, you know, making sure that the cancer doesn't come back you have to you know that is the biggest fight for people who relapse is it comes back more aggressively and to me I was like okay well yeah let's do it all over again you know I have my people this is like my home right oh I have nurses oh I get to meet new people oh I get to see my doctors you know if it to me, I have that comfort already so like hey yo I'm back
2: <laughs>
1: it, it was like everyone's happy to have me back and um, my parents had to do the whole switching again and so it was you know something that I already I knew about yeah so I just had to come with a vengeance that was like yeah this thing was I'm coming for a vengeance yes. and honestly I'm going to be completely honest my treatment was very aggressive I don't remember a lot of my um my second going I don't remember a lot um when I was done with I would say like it it was really hard to hear too that my cancer would not go away it was like it would go away and then would come back and I was like oh my it got so bad to a point, you know, where I, my, they they first had high hopes for me, and I thought it was going to be a good doctor's visit, but they called an emergency conference, and I thought, oh, yeah, they found another donor for me, or oh, they figured out, like, what to do next for me, but it, it got so bad where they sat me down and they had to put my dad on speaker and he was driving to Seattle and it's a, and it's a long drive. Yeah. And he had to pull over because they said, well, it's 70 however percent in your body right now, 70% of your cells are cancerous. So you have, we can't do a transplant. There's no way. Right. Oh, And that, and I was like, so how many weeks, like, like what is our options here? How many weeks do I have if I just didn't do transplant or if I did do like a a chemotherapy, what, you know, what's the next step? So it was, I would have like weeks to months to live. It it was kind of like up in the air because it was so progressive. It was getting so bad. And from going to like no cancer, and me thinking, oh, I can finally get a transplant to meet, to just going to 70-something percent, I don't remember exactly the number, but it was, like, 70-something percent, it's, that's aggressive, so it's, like, you're constantly battling with something that it's uncertain, so to me, that was, like, just a punch in the stomach, it, it wasn't even, like, oh, I'm going to die, it was, like, oh, like, how dare you, like, <laughs> It was like, oh, I've been trying this so much and seeing my mom so upset and my dad's on the phone. Like, why won't you just wait till my dad comes? Like that, he's like on the way here. Now he has to drive the rest of the way, like thinking about me. And I had one of my favorite nurses right next to me. She was like not comfortable. It was, cause she's like, like a friend to me. You know, they're not that much older than me. So they were, you know, she was there and I had my two doctors there. And the lady who told me this, I was so mad at her. I She said, oh, it looks like if we did do a transplant, you would have a 2% chance. I go, awesome. So wow. 2% chance of me, you know, because a transplant's gonna, a transplant's going to save my life. A bone marrow transplant will save my life. But I can't even get that. So we have to dilly-dally and research, or we have to figure out what's next. So that was the task at hand. And I was so mad at that doctor. I, I was mad at her because I thought, and I even told my mom, I said, how dare, how dare she tell me that when she doesn't even know who I am? She doesn't know my faith.
2: Right. She doesn't
1: know what God has done for me. How dare her? She doesn't know me. I'm way stronger. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to beat this. And right? Yeah. And we talked to my cancer doctor, my original oncologist, and she looked at my mom, she goes, are you giving up? And mom goes, no. And she looks at me, are you giving up? And I said, no. She's like, well, I'm not giving up. So this is our options. And it it was like, for me, it was like, that's what I needed. Right. That is what I needed. And that's the difference between, you know, doctors who are in like the adult doc, the adult. Yeah and right. the people in you know in the children's hospitals they're they're just so it's just amazing they're just so amazing and that was a point where i said yeah yeah we're going to we're going to just punch us in the throat and we're going to yeah. just keep going
0: well and, and 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 you talk to something that's that's really at the at the foundation of what you know i'm trying to do with these podcasts and with my book which is really it's it's really about that mindset right and mm-hmm. and your doctor had the mindset of we've got this like you're yeah. going to be cured right and it was infectious right your 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 mom got it you got it and you're like yeah. absolutely
1: yeah it was a fresh yeah. air we were like woo yeah yeah
0: it 2% was- i don't yeah. care i don't care what the percentage is right
2: yeah no yeah. way
0: <laughs> yeah So that's, so, so anyway, so, I mean, we're talking to you 10 years later, so. I know. It it, it worked, right? (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah. Of course, I had to do like cancer. I'd do some research stuff. I had to, um, you know, hope and pray that there was something, something out there for me. And there was a um, cord blood transplant that was out there. So there's options. There's options out there doctors have the opportunity, you know, to work, work in research yeah. and have the opportunity to see what has worked. And fortunately for me, I had a doctor, I had an oncologist who i have seen and done some rounds with. Um, she was, she did the research for cord blood transplant. And she, we're the ones who are like, Hey, like we need to talk to her about this thing. And it was usually for adults, it, you know, not a lot of, people my age but I turned 18 so I was able to hop on board this is like when I was right like about to yeah. turn
2: 18 wow.
1: so after these research chemos I had no cancer and they were able to do this cord blood transplant and I'm here I'm here today <laughs> I mean after like there's a ton of um you know rejection and I yeah. ended up in ICU I have like I had to go on dialysis. I was, they thought I was going to die. I was, and I even told my mom, like I told her I was ready to die. And it, it was so bad. Like just, just the transplant almost killed me. It, it was so, it was so bad that my parents, like it, it was just a really bad time. And, but you know, that's what you got. You got to give it up. If, if you have right. that faith, like if you have, if you know that it's the right thing to do, you have that feeling, you got to do it. And the risks are large, but it's like that. If I didn't do that, if I didn't trust in those doctors, I, I wouldn't be here.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: I would not, If I, you know, Seattle, Seattle children's like, I would not be here without them. It's crazy mm-hmm. to think about. And I'm, I'm just so I'm just so blessed to, yeah.
2: you know, I know that. Yep.
1: So it, it's pretty cool, and, and it's it is even really cool. Yeah, and it's it's even to me. It's it's as a in my 20s now, and I just got done with college and didn't know what I wanted to do. And it's to me, I'm I just got a job um, in cancer research, mm. so. It's all, you know, God has this amazing purpose on our lives and just meeting these people, knowing them, just how much they've influenced me. Right. It's like it's just a full circle. And it's just been such a blessing in my life to just have purpose and to know that I can make a difference in others as yeah. well. Like yeah. it's huge. I mean, I've, I've, had kids that I've seen every day on those cancer floors. I've I've seen them in the struggles that they go through. And it's like some people ask, you know, how how could you be so reliant on a God who puts you through so much pain? Mm. Who puts you know how how can you like I've had people I know, you know, in the hospital that they don't make it, they end up dying, how, how can I be so, so dependent, or how can I believe in some, something like that, and to me, it's like, how can you not, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, I, I just always had this comfort Always, I've always been very intuitive and had a comfort. And I know that God does things for a reason for people according to his purpose. Mm. And if that person, you know, if that person is in his plan, like his plan yeah. to encourage someone, inspire someone to go into their lives and, you know, make them a better person or, you know, to lead them to, you know, Christianity or whatever their, you know, whatever their relationship is with the Lord, it's worth it to me.
2: Yeah.
1: It's like, Hmm. I would do that a hundred times more to reach out to people who are in desperate need of a savior, desperate need of someone they can rely on. Yeah. But we all need someone you know we can rely on. And honestly, if that means me or you know, something happening to me or me dying, yeah, I'm okay with that.
2: Yeah.
1: If that means that I can mm. speak to, into someone's life, if that means I can, you know, move someone closer into their relationship with God to think more in a not so surface level you know our life our society our world right now it's like why are we so surface level it's so much more it's so much more and once something bad happens to you like this it's like I don't even care if I survive like I just want I want my family I want my friends I just want people I'm around with to feel like you know they're loved and that I can bring them that love because it's from, because it's from God. And I, that's, that's it for me. That's just how it works. Like, and I just know that. And I've, I've had such, and I didn't, I didn't have faith like this when it started.
0: Right. I didn't either. I didn't didn't. either. You know, and, and, and I'm almost twice your age and, and it's like, it's, it's amazing what an experience like this,
1: God, yeah, uh, God does, yes,
0: right?
1: Around your heart, like, yeah. does it. It's yeah. it's beautiful. It's awesome. And, like, even if someone doesn't have cancer, everyone has a situation in their life that can get them to that, you know, that yeah. God, like, push them, hey, like, I need you. I need right. you. Like, this is your purpose in your life.
2: Yeah.
1: And, you know, if if that is what he's calling you to do, then, man, you're going to do it. And you're gonna find them in the middle of it, and it's like that's right. That's gonna be that's gonna be you know what is the key. That is the key right there.
0: That is so beautiful. You don't have to go through a near death experience to be able to get closer to God at, at at any time. You're he's he he always wants to receive you and 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 bring you closer to him, and mm-hmm. um, you know. The, the access that, that we've both experienced. Um, you know, other people have experienced in different ways and, and mm-hmm. uh, it's just great to hear it as as succinctly as you've put it. And, um, you know, hopefully those who listen, you know, get inspired and start looking at like, wow, well, what is my relationship and how, how can I, it, it be deepened and yeah. you know, what difference can I make? And, and definitely by serving like like you do, um, you know you're you're lucky enough to find a career that where you're you're able to serve in an area that you're passionate about, um, but just continues to remind you of uh, of why you're here and you know why God basically said, yeah, I'm not ready for you yet. <laughs> you got more work to do, right?
2: Uh, yeah. yeah, so that's yeah. that's
0: awesome. You're just such a great inspiration, Abby and. And um you know what you've gone through've I've really enjoyed talking with you today and uh, really look forward to sharing your message with the world um, you know and uh, just really thank you for um, who you are what you do and really what you're going to contribute I'm uh, just really uh, honored to have you on this podcast and and, and thanks again
1: thank you so much that's That's really nice of you to say.